What's up, guys? Welcome back to my podcast. Today I have Thomas with me. Say hello, Thomas. You can't call me Thomas. Start again. No, it will be a fun introduction. No, I'm not having Thomas. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast, If Hospital Walls Could Talk. However, today the hospital walls aren't talking because we are talking to Tom instead. Who's Tom, you might ask? Tom is my boyfriend of one and a half years. Wow. Wow. Say hello, Tom. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. I hope you enjoy listening tonight or this evening. (laughs) Today. Today, this morning, whatever, whatever time you're listening. So today's episode is basically law or medicine. So for those of you who don't know, obviously I'm a doctor, hence the podcast title. But a lot of people will struggle between should I do law or should I do medicine? And interestingly enough, Tom is doing law. So I was just going to get him to introduce his background to you guys. So I'll hand over to him. Yeah, thanks, Dawn. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Stop being so formal. I'm um, I'm basically I I came to law quite late. I did a law conversion course, which is basically where you take it upon yourself to torture yourself for eight months and do a a law degree um within that time. So I did a previously an English degree, and I thought, well, what on earth am I going to do with you know all of the skills that I've learned, all of the debt that I've accumulated. And I thought, you know what, I, I actually quite fancy doing a bit of legal stuff. Um, I watched Shoots, and to be honest, that really did kickstart my, my legal journey. Um, I went to watch some Crown Court trials in, in Plymouth when I was at uni there, and I, I just fell in love with the kind of courtroom advocacy uh, side of things. So I did my law conversion in Exeter, and recently uh, graduated, and now... Um, I'm working as a, a Crown Court usher, which sounds a lot more fancy than it is, but is actually basically um, I'm a I'm a people shepherd. <laughs> um, I make sure people are where they need to be, uh, when they need to be there. Um, but you know the really good thing about my job is that I'm literally in a Crown Court every single day, so I get to watch criminal trials from start to finish and that in itself is an amazing experience because you're, you're always watching uh, judges and barristers and the dialogue between them uh, in a courtroom obviously with jurors live evidence vulnerable witnesses in all manner of criminal cases um, and I, I absolutely love my job um, so that's where I'm at currently. Yeah, we just had uh, basically 24 hours off work and he wanted to go back and guess he didn't, me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's really weird is that when I was doing um, paralegaling, which we'll probably come on to later, paralegaling is basically like office work um, in a law firm. And I did a bit of paralegaling with with the council in uh, like a family law family law area and when trust me when I was doing that job I really did not want to go back uh, every single day it was very very hard work very tough emotionally uh, in, in particular so you know you, you have to pick which areas of law you find interesting just like with medicine I imagine yeah well Tom knows a lot about medicine because he hears me moan about it every day <laughs> when I get home so I guess I don't really need to go into my motivations and stuff about medicine. Or maybe I should talk about why I started doing medicine. Basically, I was... I don't think I've ever talked about this, but basically I did a first aid course on my Duke of Edinburgh... um, I think it was my Silver Award, actually, when I was in year 10, 11. And it sounds really weird, but I just really liked the first aid course and I was like yeah I want to do this this is cool and actually when I was a kid I did tell you about this Tom didn't I but when I was a kid I basically said I've always been quite ambitious and I've always said oh I want to either be a vet a lawyer I thought barrister and you were like when you were six you wanted to be a barrister (laughs) how did you even know what a barrister was or a doctor and funnily enough and I don't know if I've ever told you this but you might hate me for it I was like, I'm not clever enough to be a doctor, but I'm probably clever enough to be a lawyer. 
and I didn't want to kill the Probably animals. <laughs> didn't know. I I basically I didn't think I was. Um, I I like to tell the truth too much, so I didn't think I could be a lawyer. Well, that that that's an interesting topic actually because there's a big sort of well, maybe um, we talk about that another time. Yeah, we we could maybe cover that in a future podcast about you know the I- a... issues of morality and ethics. Yeah, that's in, a whole that's a medicine. whole new um. As a whole new ep in itself, really. Yeah. So, basically, I did think about doing law, and I did think about being a barrister, because I, I think I can be... Uh, I can... I offer, like, opposing views. I can see things in both lights, but also I do struggle to... Like, me and Tom talk about this all the time, basically saying I couldn't represent somebody who I knew was guilty, and we talk about this all the time and that like i said is a whole new episode in itself so we won't yeah. cover that today so i have thought about the opposite career but have you tom have you ever thought about doing medicine well it's funny you say that because my my dad often said to me oh. i i would make a very good nurse um he says because i'm i'm very compassionate and and caring for others you know why wouldn't you you have a career uh, you know, in nursing, or, or alternatively, I'm, um, you know, my empathy almost lends itself to being quite good uh, in, in sort of psychiatry, psychology, or, you know, any of those fields of practice. Um, and I, to be honest, I've really strongly looked into them, because I've, I do have a friend, very good friend, who is uh, training to become a clinical psychologist. And I'm truthfully, I, I get a bit envious of the work he gets to do because it, it sounds fascinating. Um, I love, you know, seeing how people tick, what makes people work um, underneath the hood, what makes people behave in a certain way and how can you um, help people to ultimately uh, live their best lives through things like cognitive behavioural therapy. I, I find that very, very fascinating. Um, so I, I've absolutely, I've I've given it a great deal of thought. But ultimately, my decision to go down the legal route was more of a, um, a, a, long, a long-term decision, I guess. Um, and I, I'm not the type of person to want to sort of flit and swap uh, last minute. I like to investigate things, but I'd investigated law for so long. You know, you might be listening to this podcast and thinking, oh, God, you know, this guy just watched an episode of Suits and he's trying to be a lawyer. You know, you watched five episodes of Suits. I watched five episodes of Suits, actually. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you you, you get the picture. Like, I I did a hell of a lot of of research. You know, I spoke to lots and lots of people, got lots of different opinions. And ultimately, I think that is my best advice I can give to you is to really be proactive, to go out there and to search as much as you can. Um, Turn it into your obsession because ultimately this is your career. You know, it's a big investment. But with that said, you know, there's no shame in swapping careers. So don't feel afraid to switch out if you need to or if you feel like you're not doing the right thing. You know, lots of people have lots of different careers all throughout their life. So, you know, being flexible is also important. I know that sounds like contradictory advice, but it's it's basically a fine line that you need to straddle. Mm. Yeah, I think it is interesting. You can switch careers, obviously. And I think, because obviously I did talk about doing um, medical, medico-legal law, which again, we won't really cover today, but I did think about it for a bit. And to be honest, from that respect, I wouldn't really be starting from the beginning. But if I went to do law straight off the bat, like from the bottom, I would be starting at the bottom. I have to go back to uni again. And a lot of people are too scared to change their careers because of that, because you basically get knocked back down to the bottom. So although I think you can get back up pretty quickly. Um, anyway, uh, it's already been 10 minutes and we haven't even started to finish the introduction. <laughs> um, I think it's quite nice having a person that I can talk to on my podcast or just on my vid, anything really, because actually, usually I'm just talking to a wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is called If Walls Could Talk, so I mean, yeah, it would be true. helpful if, if the wall could talk back. But... Yeah, so you are, today you're my wall. <laughs> I'm obliged. 
So we're basically going to go through, just as a quick summary, we're going to go through the similarities of which there are quite a few and we regularly talk about this. Um, You can tell what our pillow talk is like. We basically just talk about work all the time, it sounds like. (laughs) And we'll also talk about the differences because I think some of the interesting differences are why you couldn't do medicine, Tom, and also why I couldn't do law. Um, Mm. And I think... We'll just summarise at the end. I put overall judgment, but I think the fact that we've already chosen our careers is basically an overall judgment in itself. But we're still young. We've still got choices to make. Um, so, yeah, let's get started on the similarities. Okay. Cool. I think probably one... Oh, God, there's loads of similarities that I've written down here. But I think one of the main similarities is that... We are both doing professional vocational careers. So you told me what vocational means. That means like if you do a course at uni for medicine, you do medicine, right? Is that what that means? Um, I mean, my understanding, understanding of vocational, yeah, it essentially means uh, like a, a life skill or more practical skill. So... A lot of people talk about, especially if you're going to become a barrister, it is, it's described often as a vocation. Um, it's something which is a lifestyle. And I think that really resonates with, with Dawn from what I've spoken to her about. And, you know, in that medicine is also a lifestyle. You live, breathe and work it. You, you sort of, um, you know, follow the latest updates in the British Medical Association. You know, you... You, you might not be a massive geek about it, but to to a large degree, because you're governed by the these sort of ethical guidelines that you need to keep your medical knowledge up to date all the time, and obviously science is constantly evolving just like law is, um, you have to you have to be on your A game and you have to know things all the time about what the changes are and what the big changes are and why they drive differences in patient care why they drive differences in legal care you know so I think that is a huge similarity Mm. it's interesting that you talk about like not essentially basically like bringing work home with you or or medicine becoming your life because I think that not only does medicine become your life but you become medicine like I and that doesn't really make sense to anybody who doesn't really understand that I don't think but basically you're in training for your whole life and throughout the 18 year old me obviously is going to be extremely different to what am I now 26 Mm. and not just because of age but because medicine has sort of molded me into what it wants I think and I think that's the same for both careers and I think that's Mm. also something you need to be aware of is you need to basically I kind of see it a bit as acting because I would mm-hmm. say that my if you saw me in work, you probably would be like, who's this? <laughs> but yeah. you basically become this, yeah, essentially really good actor. But I think it also does bleed into your personality. So you do end up changing kind of who you are, but not necessarily for the worst, you know? Like, I was quite a reckless teenager, <laughs> but I don't know if that's age or... I do think it changes people, though, because you see people that are older that go into medicine. I I, I completely agree with that, and I relate to it a lot. Um, I, I think, you know, with, with these sort of professional careers, like what Dawn was saying at the beginning, they are traditional careers, you know, law and medicine, um, often described as an Asian parent's wet dream, are, you know, these types of careers where... Um, you know, you'll, you'll probably be in them for decades at a time. They take a long time to train. Uh, they're very intense. They're quite stress and heavy um, and high stakes, you know. And so with that comes a certain mindset that you need to adopt. Um, I think the really interesting point there is whether or not that, that mindset is healthy in certain situations. Um, and I think this is more prevalent, you know, at least from my point of view, within crime crime and family law um is is taking your home sorry taking your work home with you um at the end of the day and and sort of creating um 
almost embodying those problems you know the things that you absorb for example you know in my day-to-day work we often have uh, sex abuse cases um, and that in itself can really really grind you down you know listening to um, a teary account of a 20 something year old who is a similar age to to me and dawn uh telling telling you a story about how their their you know one of their family members used to sexually abuse them it's a very difficult thing to sit through let alone for their lawyers who have to represent them or represent the alleged perpetrator who has been charged with that crime you know so there's some very very um heavy subject matter um, and we'll, we'll obviously come on to subject matter and the differences later. But um, I think, you know, like I say, the the real thing is, is having this mindset a dangerous thing? Um, and I think we'll really only start to answer that question in decades to come when the next generation starts coming through. Uh, what do you think, Dawn? What do you mean about this mindset? Well, the mindset where you have to wear um, a professional armour and you have to um, embody being a doctor, being a lawyer, you know, and it becomes part of you. Is that a dangerous thing? No, I think it's actually quite self-protective. And we've talked about this before. The fact that you wear wigs and uniforms, it basically dissociates you from in the patient's eyes or client's eyes from from being a person as such Mm -hmm. which or being able to be recognized outside of work saying that however I did actually see one of my um she's very cute one of my uh ex-IVDU patients in the car park the other day and I like I was leaving and I was like bye (laughs) so I mean she knows what I look like outside of work but um yeah I think it is a kind of protective thing and I think that's how the the acting comes into it as well because you you basically remove yourself from the difficult situations you don't want to get too dragged into the the personal lives of your patients and I think some amount of involvement is good but as soon as you start becoming too involved that's where it really gets hard um it's gone a bit off topic from what you really were asking I guess what you were asking was whether yeah whether we should be sort of professional in inverted commas oh it's difficult isn't it I do think it I have been more colloquial with some of my patients before and it always it always goes wrong because you get too involved you get too emotionally invested they rely on you too much which sounds quite mean but actually you don't want your patients relying on you for you want to be there for them and provide a listening ear but you don't want to be there friend or family member and that's why you also can't treat your friends or family members because you can't make that separation so I think answering your question I think yes you do need to have some kind of distancing and professionalism about you um but I think actually I used to struggle with this quite a lot when I was younger like as in I'm saying younger but when I was like 20 I used to find that the older doctors would just be more themselves around patients. And I was like, why can't I do that? But I am myself around the patients now. And I think that comes with experience. And you kind of break down that feeling that you need to be this professional robot. But that just yeah. comes with confidence and time, I think. Yeah, I I definitely, I definitely sort of, I see that as a very valid point. Um you know it's it's so important to be able to to separate them out because um you know i've i've fallen into this trap in in law you know i do some pro bono volunteering with a uh, charity which supports children with special needs and their their appeal uh, to try and get special needs pr- provision in school um and i at the moment i'm i'm helping a, a very vulnerable mother who has um, anxiety issues and depression, and she'd recently suffered a bereavement. 
Um, and whilst I've been commended by the legal team for, for how I've handled her um, and my sort of empathy, um, it, it's taken a massive toll on me, more than I'd actually realised. Um, and it becomes very draining after a while. You know, this isn't to say that you need to be, like Dawn said, a robot and you need to be completely devoid of empathy. But actually, it's about protecting yourself and managing um, a patient or a client's expectations because ultimately people will come to you expecting the moon and stars if you um, let them think that's what you're going to give them. You have to set up boundaries and that is so, so important because if you don't, you'll ultimately pay the price. Mm, and I think that's what... So I'm a bit further in my career than Tom is. So... He, you want to be a barrister still? Yeah, he nods. Um, there was some confusion about whether, well, not confusion, some. Uh, well, there, there was basically debate. Um, there was a bit of back and forth. My, the thing is, being a barrister, it's very risky because you're self-employed. Um, if you don't know, basically, a barrister is someone who represents you in court. A solicitor is someone who prepares your case. Um, barristers are usually self-employed. And so because of that, they are often um, a little bit older. They've maybe got a bit more money behind them. You don't see all that many young barristers because of that very reason. It is quite a risky profession to join as a young person, um, in my opinion. So... Um, you know, I'm I'm sort of trying to save up a bit of money, gain a bit of buffer, gain a bit of experience and uh, enter the profession a little bit later when I'm more uh, saturated with money and, and experience. Mm. Um, what were we just talking about? Uh, professionals. Mm. So similarities. Yeah, but we were saying... I said, oh, you wanted to be a barrister. But what was I saying before that? Oh, I was saying I'm further on in my career. Yep. Okay, yeah, I'm basically further on in my career than Tom is. And as a result, I think... I mean, I obviously do still struggle with the difficulty of the job. But I think the time and the... I sound like an old lady, but the the greater experience you get, I think you just get, get better coping mechanisms. Yeah. But I think I think with regards to the emotional challengingness and the difficulty and the fact that you the professionalism, they're all very similar in the way that we deal with it. We also uh we're gonna talk about the next point, so well, I I just want one thing before we before we move on. Actually, is is just a quick one um, about so on the topic of similarities in terms of professionalism. Dawn, I remember was well, it was me and Dawn to oh, be don't honest, but we me. <laughs> we were we were talking a little bit about um, you know if we wanted to protest against uh, the COVID lockdown. So this was. This was back when we were in the thick of lockdown, in the pandemic, everything was shutting down. Um, and, and at one point we were talking about, you know, would it be possible for us to to protest it? Um, and, and at the time, it, it just didn't seem that feasible because, you know, whilst I'm not a fully qualified lawyer, I'm, I'm aware of um, the ramifications of speaking out vocally about something. And similarly... Dawn faces all doctors and, and, and nurses and those in the healthcare profession um, are somewhat silenced by what they are and aren't allowed to say because they're, they're governed by these ethical bodies, these regulators, whether it be the General Medical Council, the Royal College of Psychiatry. Um, you have these ethical bodies who control what you say and of, of, often... Um, they they will not stifle your voice, but there there does seem to be this kind of this unspoken yeah. yeah there's an unspoken word you know that actually if you if you if you step out of line and and say something that's not right then you'll be you'll be struck out and you'll lose your license and that in itself it it's like this sort of fear culture um, and I think that's something which exists in both law and medicine. Mm. I think. 
being struck out, uh, struck off, as we would call it, is a bit dramatic. But yeah, you would probably get a warning, asked to rein it in a bit. But it yeah. does, it does feel quite. It like I said, it's not like a, it's not a regular presence of them being like you can't do this you can do this it's it's a overarching looming feeling that you know and it is ingrained in you in medical school that is like day one is being professional and being confidential so I mean I found that really difficult being a content creator (laughs) (laughs) um yeah creating content I found that quite difficult to basically manage like what can I say and when I first started I felt so worried about what I was gonna say and whether that would be a bad thing or not yeah I think I talk a lot more quietly than you you should see our setup right now me and Tom are literally like sandwiched next to each other because we've only got one currently working microphone so uh, it's an interesting um, it's an interesting look let's put it that way so I think a couple of the similarities that we haven't covered is the fact that we can, well, I mean, me especially, I don't know about you, but I can basically go anywhere, like in the country mainly, but in the world if I want to. I don't know about you. I've put that in similarities, but I assume it's a similarity. I mean... Dawn, you might know from from listening to previous episodes, is you're a locum, so mm. you know you can you can move across from trust to trust um, across the UK. You can even move to a different country uh, with with lawyers. Obviously, it's dependent on where your your law firm is, where your chambers are. Um, if you're a solicitor, you, you'll probably be based in one city. If you're a barrister, you'll be based on what's called circuit. Um, there are, I believe, four different circuits across the UK. They they cover the different areas. So if you're on the, the Western Circuit, you basically cover Cornwall and Devon uh, and all of the courts in between there. So, you know, th- there is the opportunity for travel, but I, I feel like doctors do have um, a lot more flexibility, especially when it comes to moving from country to country. Um, I, I know it is possible, to move to countries like uh, Australia and America and practice there. But in terms of gaining your practice certificates to be a lawyer, it's very, very tough from what I hear. Um, so I do think medicine is, is easier in that respect to move around. Mm. Although with the working online now, you could probably do some... Could you do some solicitoring online? You don't have to be with them, do you? Uh... If you I, were a solicitor, obviously. I think the the thing is really it it comes down to what your firm allows. Some firms do allow for working from home, but for a great majority of them, and especially when you're in your training days, you want to be uh, somewhere in person and preferably in one location. So, you know, like I said, that'll be in one city, one office, um, and and that will be kind of like your base. Whereas as a doctor or a training doctor or training in in a in a medical profession you know your your training will be quite varied it will it will maybe uh change from hospital to hospital city to city um and so you'll have a lot more variety in terms of location and that is something which suits different people yeah it's interesting you say that because you stop turning that (laughs) because it's kind of the opposite way around isn't it like you you will be able to move more when you're more senior but i will be able to move less when i'm more senior that kind of yeah that's, how that's, it that's true um right i feel like we've done enough talking about the similarities let's talk about the differences um i think oh god where do we start <laughs> Tom just whispered in my ear, bodily fluids. And I have actually written that <laughs> I have actually written that down on the spider diagram. I do love a spider diagram. Although although actually bodily fluids Have you been peeped um, on? Well, um if, if you haven't it, I don't want to hear. <laughs> if you work in criminal law, bodily fluids unfortunately um 
will be a thing for you. Don't believe <laughs> so, it. No, 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 no. Honestly, there. So I've I've spoken to the guys in the cells of the Crown Court, and they've said the amount of shit, piss, and uh, bodily excrement that they've had thrown at them, flinged at them, spat at them, whatever. Um, it, it is very, very high. Um, <laughs> so if you know, if you go into criminal law. You know, maybe there is a bit of a similarity. I don't think as much as Dawn's career in mm. the NHS, but there is definitely um, a similarity. In fact, um, one of the cell guards was telling me about something called um, the Spider-Man, um, and it's basically where a defendant is um, pleasuring himself and he throws his uh, at you, <laughs> and um, so it's um, it, it's known as a Spider-Man attack. Yeah, so that, that you know, that's just the sort of flavour of the the kind of things that you might you might have to deal with in that area of law. Mm, I don't know if we need to clarify what the air eh was. Uh, hopefully not. <laughs> we'll leave that one. I think you can figure it out. And if you can't, then maybe you're too young to listen to this podcast. Um, bodily fluids. Well, to be honest, I think I dealt with them more as a HCA, so healthcare assistant, basically like nursing staff assistant when I was in medical in medical school. But to be honest, most of the bodily fluids I deal with now are kind of self-inflicted, like, or is in iatrogenic. So I've basically made the patient put their bodily fluid on me. So as in, I'll have stuck a needle in them, then I'll have got their blood on me. I'll have put a tube down somewhere, then I'll have got their uh, corresponding fluid on me. But yeah, I have been thrown up on... I have been peed on. I haven't been pooed on. Oh, well, that's a record. I also haven't been ejaculated on. <laughs> Touch wood. <laughs> <laughs> um, so no Spider-Mans for me. <laughs> but, yeah, I've, I see bodily fluids all the time. So to be fair, yeah, I probably do see them more. Yeah. I think with regards to the formality... I actually have the benefit of having been into court um, just once, but actually it was twice in one day, but we won't go into that. <laughs> Basically, um, the four, so I think medicine used to be very formal. It used to be white coats and used to be like basically all the patients ready for the morning ward round parade the doctors would like basically parade into the ward and start their round and everyone be basically stood stood to attention that has not been in my era it's probably about 40 years ago that's kind of how it feels though in law like the judge walks in and i mean this is america but they go oh yes oh yes oh yes i'll stand for his honour or whatever they say but (laughs) you basically in law it basically feels like this weird formal um ceremony every time you do law but when when you um every time you go to court but when you do medicine like no one really gives a shit about like mainly patients no one really gives a shit about the fact that you're a doctor or like I mean, to be honest, most people don't even think I'm a doctor because I'm female and they'll never say that, but I know it's true. I'll literally go in, call myself a doctor with a stethoscope around my neck with a badge that says doctor and they'll be like, nurse, (laughs) nurse. I'll be like, "Mm, I did say I was a doctor, but okay. Um, And yeah, so I think that's, that's quite a big, interesting difference. I do wonder if that will change with you guys one day. We're not going to go back to being formal, I don't think. Well, I think for- formality is something which, um, again, it goes back to this professional armour. It's this sort of process that we have to go through in order to distance ourselves and to remind ourselves that we're we're playing a role. Um, we, we you know we're we're trying to sort of almost convince our brains, our, our little cavemen noggins that we are doing something which is a specialist and it's for a particular purpose. And I think that's important because it it, it it lets people know where they stand. In the Crown Court, the formalities are incredibly high um, and for good reason. You know, when you go in, 
um, the usher will come in and say, court rise, everyone will stand up, and the circuit judge, who's the crown court judge, uh, will be wearing a, a purple and red robe with a, a full-bottomed wig, uh, you know, and it's very, very formal, you know, the whole thing is, it's it's got a sort of process about it, an order, um, and that in itself is important, because when you are a uh, alleged, or oh, a defendant in, in the crown court, you get there and you realise the gravity of the offences which you're charged with. Um, and the purpose of that is to elicit, ultimately, truth-telling. So whether you're giving evidence in your own trial or you're a, a witness giving evidence, it's all in the purpose of getting the best evidence from that person to make sure that they're telling the truth. Um, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Um, that, you know, So there's affirmations and oaths and... All these things which are, um, frankly, a lot of uh, hot air. One of our circuit judges said, uh, said to me the other day, oh, Tom, it's, it's 2021 and I've got to wear a dress and a wig to go into court. You know, and I, I, found, I found it quite funny because he's, he's sort of, you know, you, you can see both sides to it. it. Yes, it's a lot of pompous fluff, but at the same time, it helps people, like I say, to know where they stand to, to know what where they are when they come in you know if if you're a person who thinks oh I'm uh you know I'm gonna get away with with what I've what I might have been doing as as a alleged criminal um a defendant in the dock you know and you get to the crown court and everything's very serious and somber you know it just it carries that gravitas that weight um, and I think in those sort of situations, it's very important. But in medicine, you almost want the complete opposite. You want people to feel at ease. You want people to feel comfortable, um, calm, collected, because that's what goes towards patient care. So I think if you compare the courtroom setting to the hospital setting, they are complete opposites. Yeah, and you basically covered what I was going to say is the reason why medicine has become less formal is mainly because you want patients to feel on a sort of level with you. You don't want them to be scared of you. You don't want them to think that you're God. You want them to be person. You want to be personable with them. Um, some formality would be nice. It would be nice if your patients didn't burp in your face or if they got off the phone when you were trying to talk to them. That would be good, wouldn't it? But there we go. Um, I think one of the next things we should talk about is the kind of... Pa- uh, not I keep saying patients, but you call them clients, do you? Yeah. Um, the kind of people we deal with. I think for the general... For, for the most part... I deal with non-criminals, obviously. and But then I was thinking, actually, when I wrote that, I was thinking, well, you generally deal with 50% criminals, which is actually not that many. So I do, depending on where I'm working, I do deal with a lot of um, questionable people in the emergency department especially. Uh, and there are a lot of prison prisoners and who you won't deal with because they're already in prison and probably criminals that I don't know about anyway but I think for the most part we do deal with although a different range of people maybe different circles we probably deal with an equality of an equalness, I don't know if that's a word, I make up a lot of words on these things, an equal amount of difficult people, let's put it that way. Would you agree? I I, I would say there's definitely uh, a large amount of difficult people. In, in the Crown Court, maybe not so much, I would say, because, again, when I was talking to one of the cells... Um, or dock officers, so basically dock officers, someone who looks after the defendant whilst they're in uh, in, in the dock in the Crown Court. Um, and they were telling me that the Crown Court is kind of like um, the, the really nice, fancy suburbs, and the Magistrates Court, which is the lower court, 
is the kebab shop down the road <laughs> you know so it's it's a really really stark difference um the magistrate's court pr- perhaps has the highest frequency of uh of sort of defendants traffic high traffic of individuals who are difficult usually you know mental health difficulties um below the poverty line lots and lots and lots of issues and they themselves will often be unfortunately difficult people uh statistically only one percent of criminal cases actually go to the crown court so in the crown court you know things have reached um a a, a much more of a cooler point uh trials are usually listed years ahead in advance and so by the time the defendant parties actually get to court tempers are usually quite calm touchwood you know, and I say I say that with a grain of salt. Of course, there are people who are difficult, who shout at you, who abuse you. Um, that that's sort of part and parcel of of the nature of working with the public. But what I'm trying to say is that uh, in the Crown Court, at least, it's it's definitely a lot less, especially compared to what Dawn has to deal with day in day out. Yeah. However, saying that, um, I think it's probably. You deal with probably about 40% of, let's say, more working class slash non-working class um, people. Then you deal with a sort of middle class and then probably about 20%. Yeah, this is adding up. 20%. And then 20% of the sort of more well-to-do people um who are actually people would think that they're easy but trust me they are not every there are even people in i don't like to use classes but it's an easier way to describe it people in the sort of upper middle class have their own difficulties so they're all difficult in different ways (laughs) um but that's just the job i suppose I think thankfully though we have had a lot of respect um over lockdown but that is slowly dissipating slash they'll they'll preach respect but actually they don't follow through with those actions um the most common phrase I hear at the moment is I know you're busy but and it's <laughs> like I know you're busy but I actually don't care because I kind of want you to sort my problem out um and it's like the recognition that I know you're busy and there's literally no money in the NHS and you've had a really shit two years over COVID but also I want my problem sorted out now um yes we're getting on a bit here aren't we so we I think there's actually two things that I think we should talk about is uh risk to self and pay and I think pay is what we'll finish off with because I think that's probably what the people want to hear uh no they probably don't um risk to self I've kind of put that in there actually I do wonder if that's a similarity because as a doctor generally I feel quite safe and I think that's probably because I work in a hospital there's lots of people around me I have emergency bells um no one really tries to find me outside of work and goes like you know hunts me down kind of thing but so generally I don't really feel like I have a risk to myself yes people can be violent but generally we're kind of taught how to avoid that and I think I've done that pretty well I haven't been punched yet so but Tom you have voiced uh issues before um with lawyers and things being sort of stalked outside of work haven't you is that a thing so um obviously this will vary depending on what area of law you go into once again um unfortunately again i have to say crime and slash family will be you know two of the worst areas you could go into in terms of that risk um the risk to self firstly from emotional harm from from the content you're going to see you know it will contain things like child abuse um sexual offenses difficult subjects and that that unfortunately isn't for everyone but secondly is the type of people you come across now i know of a lot of barristers who do not make their linkedin profiles public or they they don't make their facebook's easy to find for that very reason you know they they might be representing uh, a drug 
you know, or they, sorry, they might be prosecuting a a drug a drug cartel almost, you know, a sort of uh, a, a huge gang of of sort of high up drug leaders, and and that in itself creates a huge risk to yourself because you then become a target for them to carry out any form of uh, revenge they might see fit. And so you are placed in a very difficult position. And like I say, because you're self-employed, unlike Dawn, who has the protection of security officers and uh, and the hospital infrastructure, um, lawyers are very much exposed to uh, the dangers of people finding them. And so I think that is a very big danger. Um, one thing I, I do remember hearing about, actually, I believe he's called Nazir. Uh, I can't remember his last name, but he used to be a very, very high up prosecutor. Um, and he, I think it was quite recently, he was he was prosecuting a case, and someone threw a brick through his window whilst his uh, whilst his family were sleeping. Um, and there, there were numerous attacks carried out around his house. And in the end, they had to um, get full round the clock police protection. You know, and that's the kind of stuff which is, is just you know, uh, something. It, it, it is a problem, but it's very much overlooked within law. You, you're often seen as weak um, if you if you have to sort of bow down to that type of protection. You know, it, it, it's seen as kind of giving in. Um, people don't want to talk about it, I think, because it's almost a taboo subject. But it very much is a real risk. Yeah, and I think. That is a risk that I really don't feel. Um, generally, doctors are quite liked, and uh, like that's yeah. never been a worry for me. But let's finish off with pay. And I know you're not currently practicing law, Tom, but let's say you were. How would the pay sort of match up to? I guess what I'm earning, but I haven't really said what I'm earning. Um, do we go into this? <laughs> um, I, I can give you ranges of, so let's say a, uh, a locum, uh, let's start off with F1, F2. That can vary between 1,600 a month take home. I don't know what it is pre-tax and stuff to 2,500 essentially per month. And then if you're a locum SHO, which I am at the moment, you can earn anywhere from, let's say, 35, 40 pounds an hour to 55 to 60. So that would be about, if you worked a nine hour day, probably about, I don't know, 500 quid a day, something like that. For three to 500, it's quite a big range. But um, yeah, you can earn quite a lot, let's say about... I think if you're working full time, probably about five grand a month, five, six, something like that. Obviously, that goes up, well, back down if you're not a locum, and then back up as you become qualified. So, locum GPs can earn £100 an hour, for example, or locum surgeons. What about you? Well, I earned at least squat as a court usher. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, unfortunately, in civil service, court ushers are, and this is improving, they are paid. Um, a pittance for for what they do Um, it's really disgraceful so thankfully it is improving but in terms of a qualified barrister um, your expected take home in an area like crime would be unfortunately quite quite low as a junior Um, I would say it would be in the 20 grand area um, in your first first few area first few years of practice Uh, and then per year 20 grand a year and then uh and then on from there you'd probably get upwards of let's say five years into a practice you'd probably be getting upwards of 40 40 grand a year i'd like to say um you know being a criminal barrister is very 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 risky um the money isn't there at the moment because of legal aid funding i won't get into that because um (laughs) we'll be here all night but yeah basically crime doesn't pay um, like you think it does it's a huge misconception if you do civil law on the other hand you can expect to be printing off money um and what would you do in whether you whether you well uh, civil law would be things like personal injury uh breach of contract claims 
uh, anything which is um, in the county courts, basically. Um, so you know, it will be that that that's hype of area. Um, and like I said, that that area you you can expect to probably take about forty grand plus. Um, you know, it goes up to about eighty grand as a barrister. Uh, if you're a top level QC, you know, it'll be like a hundred grand plus easily, absolutely easily um, as a, a QC. Which Q- QC basically means Queen's Counsel, so it's a very senior barrister, um, and they do very very high level cases and so they get paid a lot they're essentially like um private consultants in the nhs but anyway i digress so yeah civil you'll get paid a lot um if you're a solicitor you because you're employed you are paid a lot more regularly and so you will get a salary year on year barristers don't have that they don't have that luxury they don't have pensions and so as a solicitor in crime it's also similarly bleak but you will like i say get a salary um in in some of the top level magic circle firms which are like the best law firms you can go to in the uk like clifford trance uh, and like linklaters um you you can get up to 90 grand 80 grand a year as a trainee there which is just stupid Ooh. amounts of money i mean it is actually crazy but they work you like dogs. You know, it is hours and hours of pouring upon fine printing contracts, you know, 70 to 80 hour work weeks, really, really, really intense work. So, you know, it comes at a cost, but um, hopefully that that sort of makes sense. Yeah, and I didn't actually talk about what, what you'd get per year as a doctor. So as an F1, F2 per year, you're talking about 30 grand, 28 to 32-ish as an SH, uh, SHO. Oh, well, as a locum, it's quite significantly different. So we're talking probably 50 to, uh, if you were really going ham, um, you could earn pre-tax 100 and over 100, maybe 120 if you were going really crazy. Uh, but most people don't. Most people work the locum life because it's nice. Um, as a general... GP slash consultant, you would be going anywhere from 50 to 120. If you're a smashing life uh, private surgeon, you're talking, well, you could be in the millions, you know. I think some people are. But the pay obviously varies quite a lot, but they're both very well-paid jobs. I think as a doctor, you have the opportunity more easily to earn more money, though, I'd say by the sounds of it anyway we've been talking for a whole near hour and after faffing about trying to sort out our technical situation for almost about an hour as well i think we should probably finish because the weather's looking glorious so thanks so much for watching (laughs) i'm so used to doing my youtube outro thanks so much for listening guys i hope you've enjoyed this episode of law or medicine And if you did enjoy it, please just leave a comment down below. Please subscribe and go check out my other avenues for connecting with me. So YouTube, just Dawn Barlow Doctor. You can just type into YouTube. Um, I have my own blog, which you guys might know about, which is diariesofadoctor.com. And you can contact me via email at contact at diariesofadoctor.com. So, oh dear, that's an email. So please tune in for the next episode, which will hopefully be in about a week. Thanks again.